Welcome to the Living Force Podcast. A Utini production. Oh, switch off. Episode 24, Galaxy's Edge Black Spire Roundtable Part 1. Oh, golly. On this podcast, the Utini team discusses the latest book from Delilah S. Dawson, Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. I've studied them. They will no doubt defy convention and attempt something unexpected. And new information on Utini's Patreon page. Switch over. Let's hope we don't have a burnout. Now, here are your hosts. Dr. Corey Hilton, Eric Eilerson, and Dr. Charles Hankel. Utini! Welcome our audience to episode 24 of the Living Force podcast. We did it. We are in... What I got did nothing we for do? I was going to say, this is... <laughs> I thought I had something. Arbitrarily greater than 23. Yeah. <laughs> Two dozen? Yeah. Uh, I am one of your hosts that does not have number references, Eric Eilerson. And with me, as always, are the doctors who are no longer on night shifts. First of all, Dr. Charles Henkel. What's hey, up, buddy? And Dr. Corey Full Arrested Helton. Uh, fully rested might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> You have you have the capacity to be fully rested now. A little easier. How about that? I suppose that is somewhat correct. <laughs> That's what we like to hear. Like most things we say on this show. <laughs> I suppose that could be correct. Well, a couple bits of news before we get into what I know you're all excited for, our Black Spire Roundtable episode. We have a few thanks to give out. First of all, a huge thank you to a new patron of ours, guys, because for some reason people are still giving us money on Patreon, Juliana Mendez. Thank you. Welcome to the family. Um, we have been chatting a ton about Patreon. I know last, last week you all heard Charles talk about it during the episode. During this past week, during every single week, we have been talking in Slack exhaustively about Patreon. The tears are basically done. The thoughts are basically done. The planning is almost done. We are so flipping close to putting out these Patreon tiers and going to video. Video. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be crazy awful. Yeah. Um, but yes, starting in this month at some point, I think at the end of this month, because we're doing our part two roundtable next week, and then we have an episode we have not announced the week after that. I believe after, after, after that, we're going to try to do some video. And I'm excited. I'm excited, guys. We're not excited. You're not. not I get that. I already (laughs) already look at you jokers every week, so it's nothing new to me, but everyone else can now, so yeah. Charles is nervous. I think Charles is the most nervous of all of us about this. I I know what happens. He's having having flashbacks to having to run Utini Tuesday. Oh, my God. That's what's happening. If if anyone out there was around for Utini Tuesdays, God bless you. (laughs) Both of you. One of Corey's <laughs> less good ideas that Charles went along with. <laughs> but he, you did oh a really good job. I tried. Though. And you know what? I would like to think that it somehow laid some groundwork for where we are today. So. Yeah, well, we haven't, you know, we're planning on launching video content in like two weeks, two or three weeks, and we've not even tested any of that. And we're not like panicking. So that's a good sign. <laughs> we did all our panicking last year. Yeah. But in addition to the future content, we have some past and present content I want to inform all you lovely listeners about over at utini.com. As you may or may not know, every single week and really day over at Utini, we are adding stuff to the website because our goal is to eventually have a database full of book recommendations based on characters, based on movies, based on everything you can imagine. So Corey 
what are some of the collections we've added over at UTNE this year for or this week rather for people that are looking for new books? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things about collections that is worth talking about. Like we just sort of cleaned up the collections page in general. So if you go to the if if you've never been, if you're listening to the show for the first time, you've never been to utini.com, you should go there. It's kind of like um, a lot of what we do here revolves around our website. Like we're kind of trying to be a guide for folks that are trying to get into the expanded universe for the first time. So head over to utina.com. You'll find lots of really cool stuff to help you get through the the EU. So if you hit, if you hit reading guides at, at, on the on the main site, uh, this is sort of a big page that helps point you in which direction you go to. And I, I did a lot of work on this page when I was on night shift. Funny enough, um, <laughs> you get some time off at four o'clock in the morning between doing awful awful stuff. Um, and I cleaned up this page. I, I put some of the stuff that was a little more buried on our website that's a little more popular, like the Legends Guide. Like uh, We have a canon guide that Eric wrote a long time ago that we need to get up here. Um, but I, yeah, I got to update that too, probably. Yeah, probably. But yeah, I, I cleaned up the site a good deal. I sorted the our characters. Man, we have a lot of guides on characters now, guys, Like to the point that it, it, yeah, it was justified to sort of split it up into prequel trilogy, uh, original trilogy, and sequel trilogy characters. Awesome. So Wow. Well, I'm going through it right now on my phone. I haven't touched it in a while. And wow, we have a Ventress guide? Yeah, there's a lot of really great stuff up there now. Um, man, the team have wow. really been pumping out these guides. So um, these reading guides are basically like... You know, we, we've talked a lot about how we think you should read Star Wars books, like what order you should. We don't think you should read them chronologically. We should do an episode about that sometime, by the way, guys. Yeah. We don't think you should read chronically. We don't think chronologically. We don't think... You should read chronically. You <laughs> chronically. should read continuously yes. and always. Read chronically. <laughs> uh, yeah, don't read chronologically. Don't read in publishing order. You should read stuff that interests you is how you should get through the EU because there's a lot of really great content out there and you shouldn't pick some arbitrary order. At least that's what we think here. So... Um, pick one of our guides, pick a character you like, pick a theme you like, and uh, dive in and kind of see what what books revolve around that. Um, we have some really cool creative stuff. So, yeah, as far as new stuff that we've just put out, um, we're kind of gearing up for The Rise of Skywalker, and we've been putting out a lot of sequel trilogy stuff. Up to this point, like it, it, somebody brought it to our attention, like, hey, you guys don't have any uh, guides on sequel trilogy characters. And I was like, holy crap, how did this happen? Um, so, you know... I guess the reality is, guys, like we really just don't have that much content about the main characters. So not not yet, but man, I, I I'll put my money on it that come uh, post December, post January, that is gonna change. Yeah, yeah, totally. So we got a new Poe guide, a new Kylo Ren guide, a new BB-8 guide. Um, looking forward to really getting more sequel trilogy stuff out once we're down the road a little bit more. So oh, yeah. um, I also added. I don't know if you guys have seen this at the very bottom of this page. I added. Uh, links to four sections on our site that were sort of buried a little bit. Uh, if you are just, if you're not going to listen to us, that's fine. We don't know what the, <laughs> we don't know what the hell we're talking about most of the time anyway. Um, Very true. If you want to read in chronological order, we have I have like pages that where I use our fancy website developer stuff to just automatically generate like the chronological order list and the publishing order list. So if you want to read any one of those orders, you can see that. Um, I also have something cool that I don't know if you guys have seen yet. I have a top 100 page I, that I've been messing I around on that recently because I'm so I was going to ask you about yeah. it after the show, but please tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So like I, I basically just set up an automatically generated page that sorts books like by our rating system, like like what our team has reviewed the books, which is pretty cool. So basically it's like a 
Um, it's a top 100 of Utini reviews. So number one is Lost Stars at 9.6. Uh, Unsurprising. Yeah, number two is Revenge of the Sith at 9.5. And number three is Kenobi at 9.4. Nope. Um, man, Master and Apprentice is in there at number four. And interestingly enough, Master and Apprentice is not like in our uh, foundational books. So like, which is, I, th- I, I was going to say, it's yeah. kind of commentary on like what our foundational books are. Like, it's not just, Absolutely. it's not just what we think is the best. Like it's stuff that you think should read first. And um, man, I loved Master yeah. and Apprentice though. Mm-hmm. Then Charles, number five in here is uh rebel Dawn, man. Some Crispin love. Yeah. Is it really? That's surprising to me actually. Yeah. But I love but it. I think also like you and I are the only people that have rated that on the team <laughs> and we're both like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah and that's the other thing i've been thinking about uh maybe trying to build into the system is is like making it so like if we don't have more than like two or three people have reviewed the book on the team then it shouldn't show up in the top 10 or something like that i don't know yeah. i don't know but that's a cool feature yeah. like yeah. And, all, and all these are on the collection page or the reading guides page at utini.com and more are added every single yeah. day Last couple news updates we have on the site. Speaking of sequel trilogy characters, we got our first excerpt from Resistance Reborn this week. I wrote up a little markup on Utini that links you to the StarWars.com excerpt. And man, uh, it's great. It's really cool. It's, it, it's, it's a scene with Rey and Leia. You got a little Ben Demption talk in there. You got Poe's new mission in there. You got just kind of two big badass ladies talking about what the hell is going to happen. And uh, Rebecca Roanhorse's writing is, is super good. So be sure to jump over there. Check out our thoughts on that article. And finally, Did- last couple things that I wrote this week before I let Corey give us one more update. Um, today, as we're recording, which is Tuesday, I put up a review for the Skywalker Saga by Delilah Dawson, illustrated by Brian Rude, that came out today. And then either Thursday or Friday this week, um, so probably out now depending when you're listening, I forgot when I scheduled it, I will have a thing called the Utini Kids Corner, which is a brand new article series that I'm starting. The folks at Disney Lucasfilm have been kind enough to send me some of the children's books that they're putting out, and I just did a little recap of them. So if you have some kids at home, I have a little mini reviews of Galaxy of Adventures, Heroes and Villains, and Star Wars creatures big and small which were both super cute and those reviews are up on the site as you're listening so Corey, before we take our super early break get into this round table what's one more thing going on over at utini yeah the last thing i want to plug that's going on at utini is the bookshelf we launched the bookshelf um a couple weeks ago uh the bookshelf is like an online system for tracking which star wars books you've read and it looks really great we really overhauled this whole thing and while I was on night shift, guess what? I overhauled it again. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I put like, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 hours. Most of my spare time in my night shift actually was spent working on this because like, I started to change a few small things and it kind of turned into a really big project. So um, if you have been playing with the bookshelf since we released it, I guess you could call this update like 3.1, I guess, version 3.1, because it's uh, it's it didn't change the overall functionality, but it did change kind of the general look of things and the organization of things. Um, it's a little bit more clean, and uh, so are your personal pages. Now you have a little more freedom in what your personal like collection pages look like. You can kind of sort it by category and stuff. So um, if you haven't been over to the bookshelf, create an account. It's 100% free. Uh, it's something we're just put together for the fan community to use. So, yeah, go check it out, com and hit bookshelf in the top of the bar. Fantastic. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we are going to dive right into Galaxy's Edge, colon, 
Black Spire. <laughs> Be right back. Hey, everyone. My name is Wes, and I'm the Living Force Podcast Community Manager. My Star Wars story is a little different than most. Um, I got into Star Wars in my teen years when Episode One came out in theaters, even though I was well aware of the original trilogy being out. What really drew me into the Star Wars universe was the score from John Williams. I don't know if it was because I was a band nerd in junior high or the music and film course that I took in college, but whenever I hear Princess Leia's theme, Duel of Fates, Battle of the Heroes, or Rey's theme from The Force Awakens, I always get goosebumps. Always. So John Williams was most definitely the catalyst to my journey into the Star Wars Expanded Universe. So my college buddy introduced me to the Legend series with Darth Plagueis. And I said, wait a second, there are books about other characters in Star Wars? It didn't take me long to get into the original Thrawn trilogy, and I've been obsessed ever since. So thank you to all of our valuable followers who take in this podcast each week. And most importantly, may the Force be with you. And we're back. I don't know if I can go on after that. I don't know if I can move on after that. Because it was so um, bad? Because it was so so beautiful. Not as good as last week. (laughs) Wow. You know what? Then I decided, totally unplanned, to say, Charles, if you think you can do better, you take control of this podcast. Let's see how you like leading the round table on Galaxy's Edge Black Spire. Before we do, though, I'm going to say my final thing as leader of this podcast. Matt, hit that spoiler alert, Klaxon. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. And Charles, up to you, baby. All right. Never call me baby before. That was kind of weird. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> the first time of I'm many. I'm feeling open and vulnerable because of this novel. <laughs> Buckle up, baby. All right. I watched Solo while I was on nights, too, by the oh, way, guys. Solid. Oh, Great choice. So good. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I love that. Let's love talk that about Black Spire. So first things first, just a quick plot synopsis, just in case you're listening to this. And you have not read the book, you don't know what it's about, and you're not planning to, and you're okay for it to be spoiled, here we go. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire by Delilah Dawson follows the story of General Leia Organa and the fledgling Resistance fresh off of their near extinction at the Battle of Krayt. As they place their hope in Vimerati, setting up a new base on the backwater planet of Batu. But what was meant to be a discreet operation is soon met with disaster and Vi finds herself injured, robbed, and stuck in the Batuan wilds with... None other than Archex, a former First Order stormtrooper who once tortured her within an inch of her life. With no supplies, no recruits, and no way to contact the main resistance forces, Vi must find a way to build up her own rebel cell while Lieutenant Wolfgar Kath and the First Order descend upon the planet, intent on ending the resistance once and for all. Now, first thing we're going to do, as always, is rate this book on a 1 to 10 but don't tell me why, just give me a number. So let's kick it to Dr. Corey Helton first. Man, I always forget to really put a lot of thought into these. Every <laughs> but you never time. change your mind, do. so your gut instinct is great. I know, I know. It's usually pretty accurate, I guess. Uh, I'll give this book an 8. Okay, Eric? Uh, I'm going to say 8.5. Okay, and I am going to say 8. So pretty high okay, numbers nice. across the board. If you Ooh, okay, yeah. we're we're pretty level yeah. on this round table. If you look okay. at the UT yeah, so top one hundred, that's that's in the upper echelon. If that was the actual final number, yeah, 
Yeah. We'll see what happens. So guys in the background too, kind of interestingly enough, we often like we awful we often oh, I can't even talk. We <laughs> offer criticism and feedback on the on the book, like when we're like in the in our Utini Slack channels and stuff, like when we're talking about like putting together our formal review. Um, but the three of us like don't super actively talk about what we think about the book, like review wise. So it's often on the show that we get to find out what what everybody actually thought about it, like on a number, a great point, a number yeah. scale, which is always interesting to me. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's jump right in. You know, we normally talk about characters a little bit first. So that's what we're going to do this time around. But we're going to do it a little bit differently than we have in the past. So since this book kind of uh, looks at a rebel cell with all these new characters that we've never met before i want to throw the question to you guys who was your favorite member of this new rebel cell and tell me why that was and then depending on who you pick i have a follow-up question for you about that character and anyone that we have not answered um as one of our favorites we will talk about afterwards so eric i'll come to you first this time who is your favorite this is a it's a real tough one because I think the characters were definitely, as with most of the canon novels, kind of like the shining stars of this book. Um, and it, so it shifted for me as the book went on. I got, a, I got some massive love for Creaky. I really, really dug yep. Zaid yep. was probably, like, all they loved him. But at the because of how the book ends, I, I got to give it to Archex, I think. Okay. Hmm. He... But Zade, him and Zade, I think I would love to hang with the most. Like, oh my god, he's my dude. But I think as far as character goes, I'm going to okay. go with Archex. And why? Like, tell me a little bit about why he had an impact on you. Explain I explain really, who the character is, too. Yes, absolutely. So Archex is, if you read the Phasma novel, he is Captain Cardinal. He is a First Order officer that grew up in the First Order and became very high-ranking, and it was his entire life until... He tortured Vi, and then she eventually got him out of the First Order after he challenged Phasma. He got the shit kicked out of him, and then he left. So when we meet him in this novel, Archex is his given name. He goes back to it, and he's super broken. Like, he is physically broken, first of all. like He, he always has this kind of a limp. He's constantly trying to be as physical as he used to be, but he can't quite get there. Um, and emotionally, he's fighting the programming the First Order gave him for his whole life. So he's not, like, attacking anyone or anything like that, but he is always feeling like a little bit of a failure because he, you know, he left the First Order. He's feeling like he doesn't really have a job in this rebel cell or this resistance cell that grows, so he's feeling a little useless, and he tries to, like, you know, get over that. But what I really love about him is that through all these struggles, he always kind of just tries to make the best of it. He tries to be the best version of himself. He's never showy or flashy about it, but, like... You know, Vi comes home one day and he's whittling. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going to make some toys because I think I can do that. And I think maybe we can sell them or something. And, you know, it's a real innocence that he he's he's secretly really wanting someone to tell him, good job, and I'm proud of you. And I find that kind of re- reluctant vulnerability really intriguing. And a thing that we don't actually see a ton in Star Wars. I thought that was pretty unique to him, that he wasn't overly brash like a Han and wasn't overly vulnerable. But he was just really trying to balance, and then at the end of the book, when he ultimately, again, spoiler, 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 when he ultimately sacrifices himself, I find that that's the only way his story could have ended. And I think that he really gets a hero's end and comes full circle from where we met him in Phasma. Yeah, 
Um, I mean, that was a great synopsis of him. And I think you honestly kind of already answered my follow-up question, but let me just see if you can boil it down for me and for our listeners as well. But as a former warrior who is no longer able to fight at all, what is it exactly that Archex brings to that little resistance cell that is so crucial to their ultimate success? I think, hmm, that's a great question. I think ultimately he brings the hope that the First Order can be beaten in a weird way. Maybe it's only Tavai at first, you know, because she knows who he is. And maybe there's just that little chink in the armor of the First Order, and that's what he means. He represents the fact that someone can leave, that someone can be shifted, and that they are they can be weakened mm-hmm. a little bit. So I think he represents that and represents to the reader the difference between the Resistance and the First Order. Because the First Order is not going to take someone from the Resistance, because they were, they were weak and they were trying to fight against us, you know? But the Resistance will always think that, you know, just as Luke says, no one's ever right. really gone. That there's always a chance to bring you back. Now, you will pay for your crimes. Like, they, you know, he, there's, it's not forgotten completely. You know what I mean? There's not a clean slate, necessarily. He still has to work, and he's still essentially on house arrest. But I think that he is that he is that symbol for everybody. Okay, yeah. I mean, I love that. I think that's, that's exactly the, the purpose that he served. Um, Corey, what about you? Who is your favorite character, if it wasn't Archex, and why is that? Uh, yeah, man. Um, all the all the like sort of background characters in the little resistance cell on Black Spire are like by far the best part of this book. I thought. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of really great character building, and uh, like they're all very unique. And a bunch of them are aliens, or at least one of I guess Creek. Well, Creaky's the only aliens. Is that right? Yeah, I guess technically she's a Shadra fan. Yeah, yeah, she's the only alien. But man, um, I love the back the background characters a lot. Um. I really liked Dolan a lot. He's like the farm boy, just the good old boy. Yeah, yeah, man. He ended up being a great character who's also like kind of in a biker gang, I guess. I'm not sure <laughs> what was up with that randomly. He's he's the uh, local man, farm boy that lives a simple life but wants to do more, right? Does that sound familiar to anybody? Not really, no. I mean it's just but Yeah. Um, Zade, I think is probably my favorite. Zade, like okay. he's just yeah. Zade is so great. Zade is 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 so great. Like, um, man, his monologue, <laughs> his monologue in the bar when yes. he's like rallying yes. the locals to join Pages the resistance is so unbelievably good. For those of you following, yes, along. I I took pictures of that. Like, I got we got our I got my early copy and and it was like a couple days before the the. A couple days before it came out, I took pictures of that. I'm like, guys, you have to see this. And I put it in our Slack channel and we talked about it. And we joked that Eric needed to get really drunk at celebration and, and perform it because it was it's so good. It's it's just hilarious. That can be a Patreon yes. goal. If we get to a certain <laughs> amount of money before celebration, I will learn that monologue and do it for you yes. at our eighteen parties. Amazing. So, so Zay- Char- <laughs> Charles, you, you say he's like Captain Jack Sparrow in your in Yeah, your I think that's here, like the best way to honestly, if you were trying to describe his character in three words um captain jack sparrow you know exactly what to expect yeah yeah he's a great you, character like, i would lo- i want to see more of him yeah uh, i really hope that we get to i would love to yeah I, I i forgot who delilah said she he was based on an amalgamation of a couple people and like russell brand mm-hmm. was in there i know and i was like oh yeah nice oh that's perfect yeah i could see that okay so um 
I guess his character really was, in a lot of ways, whenever he was first introduced, he seemed very shallow, right? I mean, he came in and he was... Mm-hmm. Down to a T, he was like Captain Jack Sparrow. Like he was pretty much just saying, "Why is all the rum gone?" Right? Like, <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. and just like walking around the bar and hitting on everybody and all this stuff. It was just, it was funny. It was a little bit jarring, but ultimately, we did learn that he has a much deeper story and he had a much stronger connection to the resistance than you might initially suspect. So, what did right. that story about his best friend and navigator? I, I believe it was Valos. I don't know if that's how you're supposed to say it or not. What what did that story add to his character? I really it reminded me a lot of uh, the very end of Solo, um, where like their Infus Nest, yeah, I'm trying to think of her name. Mm-hmm. Um, Infus Nest was was like, what are they talking about? And Kira's like, Han's gonna help you because he's the good guy, you know. And I'm like that. That's kind of rings true with Zade and Captain Jack Sparrow for that for that matter. Right. Yeah, I mean he is kind of like the he is a good guy, but like he probably wants to think that he's worse than he is. And yeah, I don't know his whole story about sort of losing his first mate to the First Order and stuff. Like, and that was I, I love getting like the pure evil of the First Order too, like kind of in, in little short stories. And some like she his first mate was just killed pretty brutally, just at point blank for like stupid reasons. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like that that we do seem to be getting a little more distance between the First Order and the Empire in that regard lately. Like, I I definitely think the Empire is super evil. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, well, actually, they're a political. No, the First Order, the Empire is evil. That's the whole point of, <laughs> of freaking Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, but <clears throat> I do think that the the lengths of the brutality that the First Order has gone to lately in novels and things like that is really kind of expanding. And I, I do, in, in a, like a sick way, like, I like that distinction. Yeah, yeah. I think we are getting a lot more of that story kind of moving forward. And I think we're going to continue to see that until maybe potentially the fall of the First Order, hopefully in The Rise of Skywalker. But guys, I got to tell you who my favorite character was in this entire book. And I yes, kid you, you not, it was Pook. It was Pook. Pook. Oh, he is man. the greatest droid He's that we've great. gotten since <laughs> K2SO. In my opinion, he is kind of, yes. he's, he's, he's similar great. to K2SO in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah. I mean, what is it about these droids that adds so much to a story? Do you guys think like, why are they so endearing, even though they just have the most awful grading personalities? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think it's like, this has sort of been a recurring theme probably since the beginning because of C3PO. Like, George Lucas 100%. created this character that was sassy and frantic and really nervous and always always just worried about impending doom and I think every, all the authors have just built on that like old legend stuff there's a there's a few really good droids but none of them are like man I don't know if does anybody, does anybody stand out in legends to you guys you can remember off the top of your head yeah um uh blue max from the han solo adventures by Brian Daly um, I don't know if y'all remember that droid character. He was that. It was mm-hmm. actually a small droid that lived inside the chest of a larger droid, and I can't remember the name of that one. Um, but they had this weird, yeah, like, symbiotic relationship that was really interesting. 
Yeah. Did you? Well, then you got like HK forty seven yeah. from Kotor. It was technically yeah. Legends. That's now. true. I mean, that's true. And also, he, there was a there was a droid. It was like the sidekick to the main character in like the Coruscant Night series. He was like a detective kind of, I think. And yeah, that was a good droid. There's there there were like pretty good ones in Legends, but they were not quite as memorable. I don't no. think, in my opinion, at least as some of these new canon stuff. That's one thing that we've gotten new out of canon that have been absolutely fantastic is the droids and. Man, K2 is fantastic. BB-8 is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of Mr. that comes Bones. with... Mr. Oh, Bones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mr. Bones. God, I love Mr. Bones. And I think that's the thing is like, droids, I think, are initially made to be like your pet. I mean, R2-D2 is a dog. Yeah. He is he's loyal. He's a little stubborn. Like, you know, but he's always there for you. And now we've evolved that relationship to, I think it's still very much a master pet kind of thing, but... Now your pet can talk back to you and be sassy to you. And that's kind of what every, I think, dog owner and cat owner secretly wishes for. Like, man, if my cat could talk to me, I better be just like K2. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I think that's I think that's what they do really well with Pook. Like, Pook is... <laughs> Would you like to cat. know the chances like, of me peeing on the couch? They're high. <laughs> very high. <laughs> They're very high. <laughs> <laughs> My droid is my cat. My cat is my droid. That's so exactly. Luke was described as being really interesting for his personality too. Like they said, like said, he's essentially like this. He's a very large droid. It sounds like mm-hmm. um, he's very strong. Yeah, he's. I think he's even probably bigger than K two. Is kind of what my imagination kind of put him together as. And he doesn't have like a normal face like K two or C three PO does. He's got like just a head with like a really large like. Like lens, like like a sc- yeah. Like a screen. Did you Google this? The PK droids. I, no. I always Did Google, you Google these it? they're yeah, they're all on Wikipedia. Really? Okay. Um. Yeah, and they, so they've, they've they've existed, but we've seen them before, and they're not like necessarily that tall, but it is definitely like the regular bi- big bulbous humanoid with the large lens eye. And I love that this like complaining droid was just there for essentially manual yeah. labor. <laughs> like, yeah. hey, go lift the heavy things, and he's like, uh fine like is and it, yeah. oh i love it yeah he, he was, was phenomenal he, he really was really he was a highlight for me and i know that um delilah when she was on the show if you guys haven't listened to the episode where we interviewed delilah dawson then go and check that out she was really excited about that character she commented on him specifically several times uh so i was i was really pleased with how that turned out yeah and now and now i do want to give one honorable because I, I feel like we're gonna move on from our favorites an honorable mention favorite since Corey mentioned Zade, I gotta give a shout out to Creaky. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I know we mentioned her once, the, the Shadra fan mechanic. She is, she was fantastic. She, I love, I loved her. She's one of those, you know, characters I'm, gonna, I would die for you, like protect her kind of things, because she had such a quiet strength that she was always trying to prove, and she was always so excited when she could help. And I think I really, I really loved that aspect yeah. of her. So shout out the to the greatest Shadra fan since Pia Cow in uh, Inferno Squad. Maybe the only Chatter fans. Absolutely, then, but still, still oh, the man. greatest one. Um, what what did book. you guys think? I mean, we're going to touch on all of these characters. So, I mean, speaking of Creaky, uh, what did you guys think about her having so much like performance anxiety? I thought this was a really interesting part about her <laughs> character. Like anytime she was called to, yeah, do Delilah something, talked a little bit. Yeah, go ahead, Corey. Delilah talked a little bit about like kind of how she thinks about creating characters and she doesn't make them superficial at all. And I really appreciate that about her writing style. And um, 
Yeah, all the characters in this book sort of openly talked about their weaknesses. And I think that was one of my favorite parts about this. We've talked a lot about the canon books are much more about characters than they are sort of big, big, huge overarching plots, kind of the way the Legends books were. And uh, I have to give it to Dawson that this is one of her, absolutely one of her strengths is is character building and backstory building and things like that. And uh yeah, I thought the whole performance anxiety was really, really great, and I'm glad it played out the way it did. Like when Kriki was on the ship, and she's like, "Like, just shut up and let me finish." Like that was great. Like uh, it's like Beckett and Solo. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, Corey, you're spot on. I think that this book coming out when it did is also very important because we're in a time where we're getting the end of the trilogy, the end of the whole saga, and everyone's kind of a badass and everyone's incredible. And we need to be reminded that, hey, you person seeing the movie or you person reading the book, you probably don't feel like you're that strong all the time. And that's okay because look at these characters. They're all going through rough times as well. And I think that makes this one of the more identifiable books. And I think that that's a huge strength of it, particularly with Creaky for people that have a lot of anxiety or people that feel like, you know, life is a little too much a lot, which seems to be based on the internet and everything most people right now. So I really think she was a great character yeah. to put in this book. I mean, book. if performance anxiety is not relatable, then <laughs> props, props to you. <laughs> You're not performing. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, awesome. Yeah, she was she was a close second, I think, for me behind Pook. So mm-hmm. I, I really love that character. I really love Chatter fans just in general. It's such a interesting species ever since like way back when yeah. in the original cantina scene with the what appears to be yeah like what's this little mouse yeah, the underage drink? the underage bat like trying to grab the drink <laughs> off the bar the underage <laughs> bat <laughs> do you guys um were were the chetra fans were they in kotor there was a squeaky little character what was that a chadra fan or was it something you're my else? kotor go-to guy so, so you you would yeah I, more than it's me. been a lot I, okay, it wasn't Kotor. It was Kotor two. Okay, that's that's why. <laughs> okay, that's why. Yes. <laughs> um, Telos. It, it, <laughs> for those of you that don't understand that, go listen to our old RPG podcast. It's, it's pronounced Telos. <laughs> Everybody on the team had played Kotor, and somehow no one remembered the main planet of the entire oh. game. Still mad about okay, that. Tell us about tell get... us about the Chadrafan in Kotor two. <laughs> in Kotor two, I remember there specifically being like like some some plot where you you dealt with some squeaky mouse like characters that like they like tweet almost like when they're talking like Tweety Bird mm-hmm. tweets. Is that is that this species? I I don't know because I think that. Because they still do full sentences. They and do. Stuff. They yeah, do have a squeaky basic. voice, though. That was commented on in this. In this. Novel. Yeah, that's true. I can't. I can't remember. If you're if you're a listener out there and you're a big fan of the Kotor games and you played it, let us know how wrong I am. Because I, I basically remember there being like a little tweet tweety character. Because I I remember I I muted the game because it was so obnoxious. Oh jeez. Like 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 do you, you remember the dialogue when you're talking to aliens like it was really repetitive yeah. and like yes. like when you're talking <laughs> when you're talking <laughs> to the <laughs> ithorians or whatever it's just like <laughs> just for like like just on and on and on you're just like skip 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 because they will just go on forever and they're talking yeah, yeah. it was like that uh. so i was i was thinking about the whole time when when, when they were talking about like the characters squeaky little boys it's like oh yeah god that's annoying oh, 
It's okay, the worst. Well, let's let's move on from one of the smallest members of the Resistance cell to one of the largest. Uh, and Corey, you already talked about Dolan, but let's just talk about him a little bit more in detail because I want to hear what your thoughts are on how important it was to have a local uh, Batuan member of this Resistance cell like Dolan was. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I thought that Dolan was was cool. I hadn't honestly really considered it. Um, way you just put that but i guess that is kind of important he's the he's probably the one of the truest locals i suppose out of all this because like his village or whatever is from batu uh which is pretty interesting but um i don't know i I like that i like that it was very reminiscent of luke skywalker uh going on the journey to join the rebellion Uh like i really like that like he just saw purely that the resistance was doing some good and he wanted to be part of that and that was cool and also, he has a motorcycle gang. He does so. have a motorcycle gang or crank bike gang, right? I think that's what they're called. Crank which bike, which just sounds bike. awesome. Yes. Yeah, he it he totally uh, does. You know, the reason I brought this up is because there was a lot of talk in this book about how the locals just didn't really care what the first order was doing out there. And there's a great quote that I pulled here that I'll read real quick, and then Eric, I think you might want to comment on this as well. Um, the quote said, "That's what everyone always believes. It won't happen to us." We don't look for trouble. We're not doing anything wrong. We're not important enough. That's what the skitter mouse says to itself as the ebon hawk glides overhead right up until it feels the chill of shadow and bite of talons. Ebon hawk. Right. The ebon hawk. Ebon hawk. Yep. Kotor reference. Awesome. I'm not going to get political with this answer. <laughs> but I am. And there you go. That's all I'm going to say on that. So no, but that's what I'm going to say on that front because it's not, it's not subtle. You know, um, I think that ultimately what that, I mean, that struck me a lot about this book was that it is it is based around empathy. I wrote about this a lot in my review, actually, um, over on utini.com, um, that this book is really highlighting the danger of, well, it's not happening to me, so I don't care. And I think that a lot of the Batuans were very blunt about that. And I think that's where Dolan came in pretty, pretty <laughs> intensely. Um, <laughs> and um, I think <laughs> that... He, it's super important to have a character that's like from a group like that, because at the end of the day, if you come from people that aren't interested in being empathetic, that aren't interested in helping people out, it's really easy to kind of just sit back on your haunches at that point. And I think that even though it's clearly an allegory to the modern day and the need for empathy, which I think is always going to be a problem and always something we can look forward to, I think it still fits in Star Wars a ton because it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel like it was inauthentic. And Dolan's choice to say, no, I choose to look at this. I choose to kind of help, I think was huge. Yeah, so I think that you mentioning that is really what Delilah Dawson probably intended. I mean, just based off of the conversation that we had on the podcast, she is um, very socially aware. And I think that it's, it's no surprise, really, that that came through in her writing as well. Um, yeah, and you can tell it on her Twitter feed too. Yeah, she's not like she's very respectful, but she's also very blunt about yeah. what yeah. she thinks. And and I think her characters yeah. follow stuff. Yeah. So let's round this out. This is shocking to me, but we have yet to talk about Starling, aka Magpie, aka Vi Marathi herself, who Vi. is the greatest right. spy in the Resistance. If Stop you that, ask her, Charles. Stop that right just now. Ask her. 
you, if you <laughs> but ask no, her. I mean, she is one of Leia's top field operatives, right? She has been entrusted with setting up the new Resistance base on Batu. But I think it's interesting that we're getting to her last. I mean, was she near the bottom of y'all's mm-hmm. list in terms of favorites? Or was it just that she was just under that bar that you didn't bring up her name before? For me, I think she she wasn't one of my favorites, because, but because I think she deals... She acts as kind of like the straight man in this comedy of mm-hmm. characters, you know? Like, she is the, 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 our viewpoint for this book. So we are looking at these crazier characters that are a little more extreme through her eyes. So we're not thinking about her as much. Now, I, I did like Vi a lot. I think that the book started a bit weird for her as, I know we, we were just kind of glib about it. She does say she's a spy a bunch. I don't think she's the best spy at the beginning of this book. But at the same time, I don't think she needs to be. Because it doesn't really pretend to be a spy book for more than 20 pages. So that's that's like, my follow-up question. Is she a better spy or a better leader, and why? Oh, yeah, it's got to be leader. Well, well, I, I guess at this point, because we haven't really seen her as a spy. We saw her in Phasma. She did pretty well. She didn't break, and, you know, she got the info that she needed about Phasma and stuff. And we haven't seen her on all the other missions. But I think this is the book where she graduates into becoming a leader. And I think that's the difference. Like, Han is a smuggler, and then he mm-hmm. becomes a leader. You know what I mean? I think it's a similar thing. Yeah, uh, that's it's kind of hard to... It's hard to think about Vi, to me, as a as a spy, as a field operative, as an agent. I mean, she really just seems like a, you know, a kind of a cut-and-dry resistance member in my head. You yeah. know I mean? I, I picture her in a pilot costume, you know, like... Um, just kind of doing rebellion stuff, you know, like just normal, like kind of a man of many talents type of, type of situation. Um, yeah, we, we joked a lot about, we joked a lot about previously about how much she calls herself a spy. Like, um, and Eric, you said, <clears throat> I don't remember if that was on the air or not, but like when we first started this, you said that you weren't crazy about the first bit of this book and you've hence changed your mm-hmm. since changed your mind. And I did too. I, yeah. I read the first chapter and I was like, ah, I'm going to put this down and come back to it. And I'm glad I did. Cause like, it immediately gets better. Uh, the first chapter is a little sort of uh, glove. It's probably a good word of like. Yeah, it's very exposition heavy. Like, hey, if you haven't read Phasma, if you haven't seen the movies, here's what happened. Yeah. Like, once you get to Batu, you're good. Yeah, totally. And and uh, like now that we've learned as much as we have about sort of like the behind the scenes of the of the sort of Star Wars publishing stuff, like to me, I feel like it's a little easier to look at stuff like like that and be like i wonder if somebody made made the author put that there you know like yeah sure. uh, because like it it makes sense from their perspective but sometimes it to me it interrupts the writing flow a little bit when you get these forced mm-hmm. things stuck in there so the first yeah. chapter takes a little bit of getting started but once you once they once they actually get to the planet and stuff it's 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 really cool and also you don't realize i think in the first couple of pages you don't really I don't think you realize that like this takes place after the last Jedi and like this is kind of the first big timeline stuff we've seen happen after the last Jedi which is pretty cool yeah, so for sure. Yeah and I think there's also like tell me if this makes sense I th- I think Vi is a spy like Indiana Jones is a teacher like technically that's true <laughs> but it's not what I think of Yeah I, it's an interesting analogy <laughs> <love> but <laughs> you, because like yes that is definitely what they do and that's their job description but at the end of the day they're both going through caves and ancient ruins and that's where their skills are really most useful my my biggest complaint i'm only going to say this once 
is how many times she uses the word spy. Like if you were to co- yep. if you were to control F spy in Black Spire, I bet it's in there like 150 times. Like, well, it's called Black Spire. Oh, oh my Corey. god! Like, how could you not? Ugh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I do. I do like though that when she's going around, like she's she's kind of off her feet and she's kind of off her game because um, even if she's getting close, they're like, hey, by the way, you know that you're like that's the um, the resistance symbol, mm-hmm. you know, on your jacket. So she's like, oh right, I have to cover that up. And it's such a hard mission because she has to balance being a spy that can't, you know, let the first order know she's here, with also being a leader that has enough pull to convince people to join the resistance. Like it's a very hard line. I think Delilah Dawson writes that very well. Yeah. I think she's like, how do I keep secret while still at the same time being an inspiration? Like that. That's very hard, and I, I really applaud her for that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I, I do, or at least when I was reading the book, I did think it was a little bit ridiculous that she walked around literally wearing the resistance symbol and didn't even really seem to think that that might be an issue. But then <laughs> yeah, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, where she's trying to garner support for the resistance. So whether she wears the jacket or not, you're going to get branded a member of the resistance here shortly. Yeah. You're like you want to make yeah. a base, like a literal base here. So yeah, but I mean, I don't think the way to I don't think the way to recruit people is to you know go to Nazi Germany, 1945, with an old navy, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, American flag shirt on. Like you well, know, I mean, yeah. And I think that's where she, I, think, I think she got there as the book went on too. I think we got to kind of see her yeah. figure that. And out. speaking of Nazis, I want to talk about Lieutenant Wolfgar Kath. <laughs> <laughs> Nazi ass name. I was about to say that. Yeah. What? What? You know, Nazi. Yeah. No. And I mean, that really is straight out of Wolfenstein. That's the role that he plays in this book, too, right? He's probably like the most reminiscent of a a Nazi Germany type of figure that we've seen recently since General Hux in his big speech. You know, before uh, destroying the Hosman. Yeah, I take it back. That is the most Nazi thing ever. Is that speech in Force Awakens? I think this is like pretty, pretty up there, right? So he was a pretty intimidating antagonist, I think. I'm not going to rank the levels yeah, of that, Nazis. Yeah, that, that was going in a weird direction. Radio. So, anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> did you guys feel intimidated by this character? Uh, did yes. You, yeah. Okay. Tell me uh-huh. about it. I well, he was described as being giant. Sure. First of all, like 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 a, an impressive specimen of a of a human being. Like like for that matter, like you know, kind of like Eric in his tank top. But uh, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> but yes, like I mean, he just sounds like really scary, like a big guy. Like he's like built like a rock, and all of his troops are scared of him. Like I mean, I don't know. Yeah, Eric, did you feel similarly? Yeah, I mean, I. Absolutely. I think that he commands authority and I was, you know, I, I believed that he wanted to inflict pain no matter what, it, no matter what, like he, he wasn't afraid of hurting people. He believed wholly in the mission of the first order and he wasn't like a cardinal. He, he wasn't interested in asking questions and figuring stuff out. It was kind of pain and brutality and that, that level of intensity and fear is, is, um, you know, I mean, it's affecting whenever you read it. Yeah, or you know, you I might it. be going out on a limb here, and tell me if y'all disagree with this. But he struck me as similar to Hux in another way, in that I don't, I didn't personally feel like he really believed in the First Order and its mission all that well. I felt like he was power hungry, 
and I and I thought you could see that yeah. in his personal yeah. interactions with people as well. And I think that he would have mm-hmm. used whatever type of organization or government or whatever that he could have been a part of that would put him in a position of power. Because you could really see how much it affected him yep. that he had had sort of a fall from grace in terms of Hux and the First Order leadership. Absolutely. Yeah, so no, I think you're spot on there. Here's, here's my follow-up question for you about him. Um, did you struggle with his decision to take off Vi's binders and have a literal fist fight with her, like surrounded by a circle of people, like in the schoolyard, in the middle of, of the climactic act of this book? Like, did that bother you? Because if you can't tell by how I'm asking the question, it bothered me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Corey, go ahead. It was a little bit of a cliche. I thought. I thought anyway, because like, I not not a cliche and like bad writing. It was a cliche in that like villains always do stupid crap. It's the like James that. Bond thing that you see, yeah. where they tell their yeah. entire plan just before Bond escapes and stops them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, does that actually happen? Like, do villains actually do this? I mean, I don't know what. I, I don't, don't really know any villain. villains personally. <laughs> no, so, Corey, the sad part, the sad thing is, real villains always get away with it. We never know who they that's are. True. Like, that's the that's the truth. For me, I actually don't think it took me out of it at all because I think that he was definitely the type of villain to have that level of pride and to have that level of, no, I need to beat someone's ass if they call me out because that's what I'm raised on, that's who I am, and I will prove that I am that tough because I think he truly believes he is that powerful too, you know? And rightfully so. I mean, even just physically, he's huge, she's hurt, like, why not just beat up an innocent person in front of all your friends? Like, he's evil. Right. You know, that's what they do. So, I think that tracked well for me. I thought the scene was pretty was pretty intense. I liked that Vi was trying to use her speed and use a little of her skills. And that even then, she almost, like, died, yeah. you know? So, I thought it was a pretty good... I thought it was a well-written fight, and I think it was uh, at a good point okay. in the story. Yeah. But, but, but you did... But you did so, so, what were your hang-ups about it, specifically? I guess... I put myself in the shoes of these characters and I try to think about what makes sense. And to me, it seems like if you have this person down and out in binders, their entire plan has gone to crap. Why would you take their suggestion to let them out and have a fist fight with them, knowing full well that there are others who were working with her who may be off doing something to the ship while you have all of your troopers standing in a circle to watch you fight? You know, I just I want my villains to be a little yeah. bit more tactical than that, and I would feel like a, a lieutenant mm-hmm. in the first order would be. That's all. Yeah, I hear that. I think that that's for for me is what separates the first order from the empire. Again, is the first order is cocky enough to believe that they that no one could outsmart them and no one could actually take them down. That they they believe in that extremism yeah. to that level. Whereas I think the Empire is more political. Like, Tarkin wouldn't let that happen, necessarily. True. True. Yeah, but, Tarkin wouldn't probably fall for that. Thrawn probably wouldn't either. Thrawn would probably mm-hmm. let well, you Thrawn out wouldn't of the fall binders for anything and somehow literally use that perfect. against you. True. But because I knew you would use the binders because they have an inscription of an ancient artifact. Like, we get it. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. Borgullet would let you out of those binders <laughs> in a heartbeat. <laughs> Release them from the binders! Borgullet! Okay, so... So that, you know, Lieutenant Kath. More like bro gullet, am I right? Oh, Jesus. In your tank top, yes. <laughs> All right, bro gullet is another oh, shirt gosh. design. All right, so. 
She's poor gullet with a backwards hat. This <laughs> is taking a turn. Some natty light worse. lemonade. Oh man. Okay. So, Kath was definitely the most in-your-face antagonist in this novel, but I think that there was yeah. a more discreet antagonist. It's really not even all that discreet, but it's just next to Kath doesn't look as bad, and that was Ogagara. And this is a character that we got to meet sure. in Crash of Fate, but it's something that we got to know a lot better, I think, in this novel, and it was really interesting. Um, so, for those that don't know, Oga is basically a local gangster if you will but she also owns the local cantina and she kind of has her hand in yeah eric is putting his tentacles on his face like oga is described as having um but she basically has a hand in all of the things that go on in black spire outpost and you better pay your cut to her they're going to be issues and she really is a yeah. character that sits on the fence. We see her sometimes support the First Order, sometimes support the Resistance, use them against each other. What kind of... What did it add to the story to have that in the backdrop of this major conflict going on between Vi and Kath and, and all of those parties? Well, she she doesn't strike me as a moron, so I kind of thought it was weird that she was like, oh yeah, uh, come on, First Order, there's a spy here, come get her, you know, like... That was weird to me because she she, she kind of sided with the resistance in the end because she kind of made it sound like it was good for business. But, like, how could she think that the First Order being around was going to be good for business? I mean, we can assume that she's probably somewhat educated and stuff. Into the I think she thought she was galaxy. smarter than them, too. Yeah, I I think she's classic. I mean, it's, it's classic mob boss for me. It's like Oga serves Oga and that's how it goes you know if if you need to pay off a cop to be in your payroll cool then you do that whereas if a new drug dealer comes in the scene cool then i gotta give him some money i think it's just whoever has the hot hand yeah and for a while the first order had an entire squadron or whatever they had on the on the planet and the resistance had vi so she's like okay cool then power and numbers absolutely do that this is true like when she and then when vi gets more she's like cool then it's you i think that she's like just don't screw me yeah and I'll help you out, but the second I, but I, but I think Oga will will sell you out for a song, and like you just kind of know yeah. that. So we know that you know. you know a lot of the local business owners that we meet in Black Spiral Post actually do have a leaning one way or the other between the First Order and the Resistance. We learn about Savvy a lot in this book. We learn, yeah, he's, oh, great, he's so right? sweet. Um, we learn in in a Crash of Fate yeah. that Doc Ondar you know, may have some resistance leanings as well because he sent that package out Mm -hmm. to the resistance, um, you know, cell that we see kind of set up in this book. So Oga is kind of a wild card though. So my question is, do you think that she would choose one side or the other if it really came down to it? You think she'd ride the fence till she dies? Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. Totally. I think that's fair. I like that though. I think that, because I think that she's, I think she's kind of in that way. She's a little bit like the, like the evil Maz Kanata, you know, because Maz is like I've seen this fight my whole life, and I've been around for this. Like she's been around <laughs> through every iteration of it. Evil and I think Maz. Oga's like, yeah, I think Oga's like, you know what? Whatever happens, there's gonna be another war, but there's o- only ever gonna be one Oga. So I'll survive, and then I'll get to the next war, and then they'll kill each other, and yeah. then I'll survive again. Yeah. You know. I think it's interesting. It adds kind of this constant level of question as to 
where the story might go. You know, she could really turn the story at the drop of a hat, which I think is interesting to have. Absolutely. On. And I also think that Oga is similar to Maz because she loves fucking Wookiees. She does love Wookiees. <laughs> oh does she love Wookiees or does she love fucking them? Oh my God, Matt. <laughs> is there a difference? Damn it, Corey. <laughs> Just, yeah. Okay. You know what I meant. She literally, she kills her lover and, and falls off a balcony. Although, did you guys know that apparently there is a broken um, railing? A pl- Actually, I yeah, in Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. Really? That's supposed to be. Yeah, and that's like, if you ask cast members about it, they'll be like, oh, you can't, don't talk about Wookiees in here. Because they're all trained to know the lore of how that got broken when Oga killed that. All right, guys. So we are getting close to the end of this, but we have our major questions, a whole list of them that we're going to get into, mostly in part two. But I think it would actually be a pretty fitting final question um, to ask you all here with this part one episode is, is Batu starting to, or Batu starting to feel like home? It was something that was presented as entirely new. It was presented around the idea of this theme park. We'd seen it introduced in some comics and whatnot. We saw it in A Crash of Fate. Now we've, we're really getting to the point where we're pretty familiar with it. We're pretty familiar with Black Spire Outpost. Mm-hmm. Is it starting to feel like home to you, like Star Wars? I'm going to say... It's getting there. Uh, yes. I'm going to say yes, but also at the same time, it's 100% unique. Yeah. Like, I, I do feel, like, reading this book, I'm like, this is a Star Wars book. This doesn't feel like um, an ad for a park. Um, we were very clear about that in our review. And all our talking is about these books. You know, they, they avoid feeling like advertisements. But at the same time, there is that added level of, I can, I can go here. I will go here. So that's never gone from my mind. Like, it's never going to be Tatooine. It's never going to be Hoth. It's never going to be Dagobah. But at the same time, maybe it eclipses that and becomes something even more. So, all that to say, when, not if, when Black Spire Outpost is referenced in future material, I don't think it will be inauthentic. I think it definitely fits in Star Wars now, and that is that is a task I did not think they could accomplish, frankly. Yeah, that's a good point. I'm very interested, interested to see if, like, if, it, if it is connected to the greater story, the Skywalker saga, like, cause there is a millennium Falcon at galaxy's edge and, um, there's a whole millennium yes, Falcon ride. Like, is that going to be tied in somehow? Like, I don't really, I don't know. Um, very interested, interested to see Batu feels small to me. Um, but it does feel unique mm-hmm. and I don't know. It feels pretty star Wars to me. So, um, I think it could be this cool little piece of the pie. That's, part of Star Wars lore and can be referenced frequently and maybe will be involved in the greater story at some level eventually. Yeah, we'll Absolutely. see. We will see. Yeah. What do you think, um, man? I think it is. It, you know, I think it's starting to feel a lot more natural than it did before. I think that there were some concerns that were, you know, probably understandable that a lot of this would feel like you said eric like an advertisement i don't think it at all comes across that way and one interesting thought that i had while reading black spire was i wonder if reading a crash of fate before reading black spire actually helped me enjoy this story more and if the same would have been the case if they had been released in reverse Okay, so I want to actually really want to comment yeah. on that before we get out of here because i had a very unique experience where 
the advanced reader copies for Black Spire went out super early, yeah. like months early. And these were like weird the unproved, yeah, the unproved copies essentially was about the time that the park opened. Um, and we received them and I read the first bit of Black Spire and straight up, like I did not care for it. And I was really worried. I'm like, oh my gosh, this feels like an ad. I don't know what's going on. And then I put it down and then I waited like honestly like two months. And then I read A Crash of Fate, really liked it as you can hear on our last roundtable episode. And then I w- read the proofed copy of Black Spire that they sent, which was like the full hardcover, full everything. And I was just so into it. And I don't know if that was a bunch of edits. I don't know if my mood changed. But all I know is that definitely going from reading Crash of Fate into reading Black Spire seems to have helped me a ton. So if you have the chance, listeners, if you're still listening to this and you haven't read either one, um, thank you for listening. But if you're going to go back, I highly recommend doing Crash of Fate then Black Spire. Okay, great. That's awesome. That's pretty unique. I know not many people can have that experience, so... Well, guys, I think that we will save the rest for next time. We have a ton of stuff to still get through and some pretty deep questions. I'm really excited to talk to you guys about, but it's a little too much to try to do right now. So, Eric, you want to take us home? I absolutely do. Again, can't wait for next week. If you are a fan of these roundtables, you know our second part usually goes a little longer because we're going to take all the time we need to get through all those main questions. I'm very excited. But that will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you're new, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and tune in every single week to hear us at UTNE talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. Please, if you haven't already, leave us a review on iTunes to help people find us and head over to utini.com for reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. If you're looking to buy some books and you want to help support the show, look up your book on Utini. Click the Amazon link on the profile, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on patreon.com slash where you can join our amazing patrons who include Dylan Sasser, Adam Dyson, Timothy Dunlap, Royal Farm Boy, Chris Richmond, Juliana Mendez, Adrian Carlson, Ross Graco, Terratano, and Emma Irma Jedi. If you want your thoughts on the show, email us at livingforcepod at utini.com. Tweet at us at LivingForcePod all week, or join our Utini Discord community by going to utini.com slash discord. You can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Eric Eilerson. Corey is at DocStarWarsMD. Charles is at C. Henkel. A special thank you, as always, to our editor, our amazing editor, Matt Davenport, Freddie, our producer, and Wes, our community manager. Thank you to Corey and Charles for podcasting with me, and as always, may the Force be with you. See you next week. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the Force be with you.